Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and guess what I use as therapy? A podcast. <laughs> Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I'm what you would call a Shelley. I bow at the altar of Marcel the Shell. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and I'm excited to talk about the most surprising thing to be in a shell since the ghost. <laughs> I'm just hearing a Marcel like sigh oh my God. In, in my head right now. It's like a little Jay's like since, since the heroes in the half. <laughs> is Marcel is Marcel really in the shell though? He is I, the I shell. Like he uh, is shell. the shell though, Jeff. Yeah, metaphysically, right. is he not? You're so, saying that you're saying my intro does not hold up to logistical uh, <laughs> test. Indeed, that is correct. That uh, is correct. Well, mm. anyway. Uh, those are, of course, all oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we'll be reviewing Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, the latest A24 release. Looking forward to diving into that with you folks. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slashfilmpodcast. This week, we'll be discussing Thief, the Michael Mann movie starring James Caan on the After Dark. Uh, I was really excited to to watch it for the first time this week. Um, yep. And I thought it was pretty great and I'm looking forward to talking about it. So big dose of con. It's yeah. Like peak James con over there. Yeah. Con. Agreed. Um, Patreon.com slash film podcast is where you can listen to that conversation on the after dark this week. Um, so we also got some film news stuff. Some people said some stupid shit that we'll be talking about. And then we're going to be diving into what we've been watching it's before we get to our review. So, uh, but before any of that, for any of that, you know, here on the podcast, on the Filmcast, we have continually stepped into massive controversies, almost incidentally, like not even, that's not even part of the plan. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not even like we planned <laughs> to ignite a controversy. No, no, no. Around. We're on the pulse. We're on the pulse of what the <laughs> yeah. kids are talking about. Yes. You yes. Just live controversy, Dave. That's Indeed. Indeed. I mean, we, we're not like, hey, let's start a massive war about this topic. Instead, uh, we'll just want, we'll stumble into it. We'll stumble into it. Um, so as with Tom Cruise being a sex symbol, we did the same thing last week on the podcast talking about Minions, the rise of Gru, or rise of Gru. I think it's just Minions, rise of Gru. No, the. Um, and we talked about the gentle Minions phenomenon, the phenomenon whereby uh, people go to the theater dressed as uh, dressed to the nines to watch the new Minions movie. Now, uh, Jeff and Devendra were not super hot on this trend, and I was much more encouraging of it, so long as people aren't being assholes to other patrons in the theater. We got a ton of emails about it, and I will read a few that are representative of uh, what Your people point of are view. saying. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to represent all different points of view. Now, uh, I, I, I will say that, <laughs> reflecting on last week's episode, boy, guys, we're old. You know what I mean? No, like that, yeah. that's ultimately it. I'm I'm not gonna yuck on these kids yum like if they're just having fun doing it with their friends. But I will say, g- give me one thing. Give me one thing to rant about and let me be an old man yelling at the cloud. I wanna I wanna yell at gentle minions. That's all. Yeah, too yeah. many people afforded uh, us the Skinner meme from uh The Simpsons, you know. Yeah, I mean no, we're, we're, it is the children who are wrong. Yeah. 
we're old, and the th- the thing that sucks is like you know when we started, you know when we started this podcast, or at least shortly before when we started this podcast, Devinder and myself, at least, <laughs> we would have been the people doing the Gentle Minions theme. And no, now, no, now it's still it's still a generation before because it's like it's teens, and, well, and we, well, were, it's we were we were post college age, point. high school college. So right, Josh, right, right. Josh from Georgia uh, writes in the following quote: "Hi, Filmcast. My name is Josh. Uh, I'm a college student in Atlanta. Go Jackets." And I wanted to weigh in on Gentle Minions. I'm here on the ground level. Most of all the Gentle Minion goers are high school or college age. And it's all ironic. None of us mm-hmm. love Despicable Me. Gentle yep. Minions is for TikTok clout and nothing else. Boom. I'm in no way defending this trend. It's stupid. But I just want to mention that not all Gentle Minions are the kind who are disruptive and throw bananas. Many of them are simply there for the pictures. They'll watch the movie in silence. Quite, My quite irony. Yeah. My roommate was one of those people. He got his pictures, watched the film, and he went. That said, the banana throwers and mosh pit havers are still assholes. Uh, also, Josh wrote a follow-up email. He says, quote, Jeff mentioned that he believes that the joke is going to the movies, that it's inherently silly to go to the movies anymore. That is not the case. Mm-hmm. The joke of Gentle Minions is going to see a terrible movie, like yes, Minions. It's clear. Yeah. All the teens know this movie is going to be bad. The joke, the irony, is going to see it, making it a real big event. Gentle Minions is no different than Morbius. We pretend to care about a movie we know will be terrible, and we overinflate it ironically. But they actually uh, go. They actually go. <laughs> It's really unlike, like, unlike like I Morbius. said, unlike Gen Morbius, Z, Gen Z really, really goes hard. So yes. I, I adhere to that. So that's one email. Uh, now, th- that's one perspective. We got multiple different perspectives from different people. Okay, here's another one. This one comes in from Matt from Cleveland. Matt writes in, longtime listener to the show, have never felt the need to write in before, but the conversation about gentle minions <laughs> left me so incensed, I started <laughs> typing immediately. The stance that Jeff and Devendra took reeks so much of Principal Skinner deciding that, no, it's the children who are wrong. I thought they were going to follow it up by saying it hasn't really been music since that Elvis fellow started shaking his hips. As a fellow 30-something parent, I make no claim to decoding the odd mix of irony and fandom of the Gentle Minions. Is it engagement with a film franchise that started when they were the target demographic in elementary school? A teenage rejection of childish things? Or as Jeff put it, simply for the lulls. I'm pretty sure I said that, by the way. Probably a mix of all three, but it is for sure kids engaging with culture in a rebellious counter to the norm way. David hit this exactly right. As long as they aren't disrupting the theater goers, uh, other theater goers during the movie, let fans be fans regardless of method of engagement. End quote. Yeah, right, right. My, my counter to that is it is it's not engaging with the culture in in the same way. That that mm-hmm. was my that was the thing that fundamentally It's not engaging me. earnestly, you're saying. Right. Is, it is, is your, it your is beef. it is poking fun at the culture. It is, you know, hey, it's a lot of things. Uh if people are having fun doing it then, yeah, sure. We we all did dumb things when we were young. <laughs> that's, the, that's totally fine. That's yeah. The central point is that yeah. you get older and you realize how dumb you were. <laughs> Sometimes the kids are not right. Yeah, almost all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, there was a a, a 1993 Robert Downey Jr. film that I'm sure only I remember Mm -hmm. called Heart and Souls. (laughs) Uh And (laughs) when it was playing at the movie theater I worked in, we would go because it cost us zero money. We would go to nearly every showing of that movie for weeks. We would mm-hmm. go like th- two or three times a day mm-hmm. for weeks. And there's a moment where they start singing Heart and Souls, and we would go and we'd sit in the theater and then we'd stand up and we'd sing along with the movie Heart and Soul. And, and uh, it was obnoxious, <laughs> it was stupid, and we thought it was hilarious and fun. Now, 
Were we now engaging? Jeff channels that energy into a weekly podcast instead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that who knew that was the beginning of my career. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, were we engaging with the film? Were we uh, were we celebrating a love of cinema? Maybe I don't know. Was it dumb and st- stupid and and ironic? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Both things what, what can be would, true. Uh, what would Jeff today say to Jeff back then? Yeah, I would say, "Sit down, idiot." Mm-hmm. Some people are trying to watch Heart and Soul. Over <laughs> Some here. people are trying to enjoy. A pre-Iron Man Robert Downey Jr. right now. In 20 years, he's going to be the biggest star in the world. Just That's listen. Right. Shut up and watch. Don't you understand? You're, you're looking at Iron Man right now. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. Let's get you back to bed. <laughs> Final email about Gentleman. So we got a bunch of emails. I'm just reading a few of them. Uh, this one comes from Bruce. Having listened to your latest pod... I have to chime in on the Gentleman suit trend. I work in a cinema, and we've had nothing but problems with huge group of teens turning up to minion screenings in suits, inflatable bananas, actual bananas, clapping and shouting throughout the film, disrupting it for everyone else. Having spoken to the young gentlemen dressed in suits about why they're so obsessed with minions, I'm afraid Dave is entirely wrong that it is genuine. It's postmodern irony at its worst. All the teens I've spoken to are fully aware that it's a terrible movie, but they're seeing it because, and I quote a suited teen, it's a historic moment. This is our generation's godfather. <laughs> Good quote. Good quote. Jeff yeah. is right that, if anything, this is a nasty, cruel jab at the nerds that dress up as Spider-Man for No Way Home. And if you'll allow me to get slightly political, is a cultural artifact synonymous with the notion that Trump doesn't matter, he's just a funny meme because politics doesn't matter because nothing matters. Oh, shit. End quote. Wow. Tying it back into the broader culture mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, uh, I have a lot of friends who, who dressed up to go to, you know, geeky movie screens. I, I felt offended for them. Like these kids were kind of co-opting that culture for nothing. So that Mm -hmm. is part of my frustration too. I see. Yeah. yeah, I I think that makes sense. You know, like if you dress up as Neo for the matrix and you love the matrix, you know, the matrix resurrections, you love the matrix. It's like, if you see someone dressing up for gentlemen, it's almost like they're making fun of you, right? Like right, they're mocking right. you in some way. I, I get that. I get that. Also, I, I have heard that like there's situations where people will throw bananas at movie screens and damage the screen permanently, yeah, which is just eat. like, Ugh. you know, that's, the, I, I can't, I do not condone any of that asshole-like behavior. Mm-hmm. But what what is clear to me though, I think, and you guys have seen the comments of tweets as well as in the, the Slack, right? Like, I, I think... Uh, Gentle Minions is the Rorschach test of our age, is, is kind of what I'm saying, right? Right? Here, right? people was thinking thinking Tom Cruise's sex appeal was the Rorschach yeah, test of our age. It, it, it is what you want it to be. It is what you want to see. It is what you want it to be. Yeah. Basically, I mean that, that's culture in 2022, right? Like every yeah. there is no defined way of there's uh, no truth of talking about anything. There is mm-hmm. no truth. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for all the gentle minions emails. Uh, again, you can always email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Um, really appreciate people sharing their thoughts. And uh, I guess we're both right. And in a more real way, we're both wrong, folks. I mean, I think, I think ultimately for me, it is <laughs> the worry that there's a layer between enjoyment and the thing. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. In- only reason that there is, and I think that's, I mean, kind of what this what this person, this last email I was talking about, sort of drawing a broader line to politics and and everything else, is that it, it does feel like the internet age, the memification of everything, 
means that there there tends to be this layer between the thing and the person mm-hmm. that is irony that is that it and i think that's a disturbing trend i don't, i think that is not healthy i don't think that's a good and, and uh, yeah i sound like an old person but it <laughs> I mean, this me, started this started decades ago, right? It is a culmination yeah. of everything. From it's like, like the self parkification yeah. of everything. You it's know? Gen X culture. It's like the the nihilism of that. Plus, uh, yeah, plus the '90s, and then yeah, the things just started to matter less and less. Uh, we did get an email from somebody. I can't find it right now, but somebody pointed out, you know, there are some people who actually like the Minions movies, and they're kind of like hiding it. And doing gentle minions, even though they, they like the minions movies, but they're they're doing it because it's the it's the only they can ironically pretend they're ironically enjoying mm-hmm. it while also actually enjoying it. And I think that is uh, that's actually something I wow. didn't think about, and that's actually kind of interesting. Like it Layers is kind of cover of irony. It's cover for some people who's like, I actually like minions. I think Gru is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> who who can go and enjoy this movie with their friends? So mm-hmm. that's a thing. That's cool. The good news of, about this entire conversation is that. On the uh, increasingly remote chance that I win the summer movie wager, <laughs> I've discovered what movie I'm going to make everybody watch. Uh, oh and it's no. Heart and Souls, 1993's Heart and Souls. Wow. Only if wow. you sing it. Yeah. Well, fortunately, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, it looks like nobody will win the summer movie wager. We're all losers. <laughs> yes, we're all losing. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, Jeff, uh, right now in the summer movie wager at the summermoviewager.com is, as usual, dead last. He is. Yeah. Dead last. Biding um, my time. Just biding my time. Yeah, I mean, I am going to probably be dead last when <laughs> Downton Abbey gets bumped out of the top 10, which is going to happen sometime in the next three weeks, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, so that is really going to suck for me, unfortunately. I'm really, really not looking really very few paths that I have to win the summer movie wager at this point. Yeah. So Once um, again, the crown disappoints you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I, okay. You know yeah. the summer movie wager is always a uh, a slow motion car accident, but this is a disaster. This year's a, a disaster <laughs> on an entirely different level. It's amazing. It's astounding yes. to watch. Not yeah, since or... Al- Alex Albrecht put MacGruber on his top ten. <laughs> yes. yes. Has there been such a catastrophic miscalculation that we've all made? Yeah. Anyway, well, Jermaine is leading now. So, if anybody deserves to win, it's Jermaine. Oh so. man! Yeah. If, yeah. I mean, he, I think he's he is yeah. weird. Yep. Oh my god! The amount of crow, <laughs> the amount of shoe. Yeah, or hat. Yeah. You'll well, have hat. hat. Jeff hat. promised to eat a hat. I'm going to so, eat a hat. So, um, my hat, message Jeff. out there: if anyone knows a a cake maker that can make me a cake hat, I'd be super excited about that. <laughs> Oh, you're gonna you're gonna use the cake way out of the. Uh, of the thing. That's that's your. your I see. I see a recipe for make your own Homer Simpson nacho hat, and I think you're gonna have to do that, Jeff. Um, to close off the gentlemen's conversation, I'm just gonna say that I, it's so refreshing that for once in the last, let's say, five to seven years, it's you guys that are associated with the no, it's the children who are wrong meme and not me. (laughs) For sure. Is that my whole brand? You know, usually I have have to pick one a year and I feel like this is the one, this is the Mm -hmm. one I'm going to think. Yeah. This definitely is a zag when I thought you would zig Dave. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like to keep people on their toes. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the world of microdosing, specifically microdose gummies. If you've been looking around the internet a little, you've probably heard about uh, people using microdosing as a way to, you know, feel a little better or less anxious. Uh, It's something that could be really helpful if you don't want to take large amounts of CBDs or, you know, other things that could just make you feel weird. 
Microdose dummies deliver small levels of CBD and THC that just help you feel, you know, the right amount of good. I've used them for anxiety in the past or, you know, when I used to go on flights. But even now when I'm like juggling kids or just, you know, dealing with a lot of news, the news cycle is not great these days. Um, I found a little bit of a microdose gummy can help me a lot. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code FILMCAST. Before we get to what we've been watching, there's uh, a couple of things I want to mention that have been in the news. People saying things in interviews. They should uh, stop. That I, that stop I want to saying talk things. About. Uh, no, they shouldn't. They shouldn't, Devinder, because it gives us stuff to talk about and reflect <laughs> and argue about. Um, so Eric Kripke, who is the showrunner behind The Boys, which just aired its third season on Prime Video. Officer Kripke, you're really... A- no? Okay. Wow. It was Krupke in the movie. Krupke, yeah. um, that's a, but, he's a supernatural guy, too. So that's, you know, he's been in TV for a while. Yeah. He gave an interview to Vulture, Catherine Van Erdog, and... Uh, he said this quote that went viral on Twitter. So the question was asked, when I spoke to you for a panel when The Boys first premiered, I asked how you thought about the episodic structure while writing a season of streaming TV. Three seasons into a huge streaming series, how do you think about these things now? Eric Kripke responds, quote, look, I love streaming. I can't ever see going back to network. It's the ability to do two things. Have most of your scripts written before you shoot a day of film and then have all the episodes finished before you turn them over to air. There are logistical benefits that would be impossible to give up because you can tell a coherent piece in a way that you simply cannot with network TV. It's already aired. You threw it out the door. You're locked in. It happens all the time. We're in the middle of filming episode seven and we realize there's a different storyline we need. We still have to go back and shoot it for episode one and drop it back in. I'm going to pause here for a moment. Just to make sure that's clear to everyone, what he's saying, mm-hmm. right, is like with network TV, your episode one has already aired when you're shooting episode seven, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're like, oh, this storyline would be so interesting if we like seeded that back in early, if we put like hints of that back in earlier, you cannot do that with network TV. You're laying because, the tracks as the train is coming down the exactly right. But, yeah. but if you if you get to episode seven with a streaming series, you're like, oh, what if we put in this little line of dialogue or this scene here that sets up? What's going to pay off in episodes? You can do that with streaming, right? So that's what he's saying. Okay, then he continues, quote, The downside of streaming is that a lot of filmmakers who work in streaming didn't necessarily come out of that network grind. They're more comfortable with the idea that they could give you 10 hours where nothing happens until the eighth hour. (laughs) That drives me fucking nuts, personally. As a network guy who had to get you people interested for 22 fucking hours a year... (laughs) I didn't get the benefit of, oh, just hang in there and don't worry. The critics will tell that, tell you that by episode eight, shit really hits the fan. Or anyone who says, well, yeah. what I'm really making is a 10-hour movie. <laughs> Fuck you. No, you're not. Make a TV show. You're in the entertainment business, end quote. I, I love it. I love, somebody is saying it. It's somebody brilliant. has to say these I mean, things. This man gave us 15 years of Supernatural on network TV. <laughs> like he, he has been through this shit. And yeah, I, I, I kind of fully agree with that. Sorry. Although anytime you use the phrase "you people," it's probably a, not, <laughs> it's a you should yeah, don't, don't just, do that. Don't yeah, do that. Not, <laughs> just never say that. But uh, I do think that there's a lot of uh, truth there. Well, I am going to say this as somebody who watched all of the boys season three. Um, I think he actually uh, is walking the walk. He's not just talking. Yeah. Talk. Like yeah. A- every episode of the boys has something major happen in that episode. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's there's a major shocking development or some kind of moment that will leave people talking about it. And so I really feel like you know, not every show is is able to have that logistically, narratively, but 
he like for what he has been able to accomplish, he does actually do what he is trying to tell pe- other people to do in this interview. So, um, so I, yeah. I, I will vouch for him to that degree, and and I would agree with him that. Um, yeah, what we have seen is a lot of shows where not that much happens until really late in the season or where you feel like it could have been condensed. Um, and the episodic structure of television is starting to become a lost art in some ways, you know? Uh, and that's what he's commenting on. And, and I would agree with him. I'd agree with him. Mm-hmm. Are there any mm-hmm. shows you guys can think of recently where this has been a real problem? I'm just curious. I, mean, I, I have not seen the latest season of Stranger Things, but what I hear... Is is the length argument? Like some episodes are mm-hmm. two hours long. The finale is two and a half hours long, and apparently, like, not much actually happens until the final few episodes. And even the finale felt a little lackluster so, for people. So I, I'll probably end up watching it at some point because I, I do some of the things sound intriguing, but like as a background show, I can't focus. If a show is not going to focus and give me, you know, its full attention of storytelling, I, I can't do that for the show. Yeah, yeah, or or just. Uh, you know, to, to elaborate on that last point about the show focusing on you, it's more like every episode needs to deliver yeah. something, right? It needs to deliver some goods in terms of thrills or uh, it, like it, it needs to have its own story that is satisfying when you get to the end of it, ideally, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that often doesn't happen. That often doesn't happen. I, I would say it did happen with The Boys Season 3, which, by the way, was a pretty good season of television. And we haven't really talked about it, but um, one of the interesting things about it is uh, Homelander becomes a full-on fascist in the movie. Like Homelander, oh. the uh, Superman kind of yeah. stand-in, it becomes a full-on fascist. Never and, would have thought. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and apparently, like the internet lost its mind. Like the people who were uh, who enjoyed the boys who yeah. liked Homelander because he was a fascist, they're like, wait a second, he's the bad guy in this. Yeah. You know, are, are we the um, baddies? Are we yeah. the baddies? Yeah, there was kind of that moment happening on the boys subreddit this season. Um, so uh, anyway, fascinating season television, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that quote. So okay, like a show, we all love the bear and we were all able to like take in the bear so quickly, but what was so special, you know, special about that show too, is that it was so condensed and it was so, so dense in terms of what it's giving you. And they can experiment with timing too, right? Like the, the one the season, uh, the episode seven, one, I believe was only like 20 minutes long or something short like that. Like okay. you, you have the flexibility. You can go shorter if you need to. Some, ep- some shows have done that. And I do appreciate that flexibility and also aiming Amy to be dense when you can is for me better storytelling. At times. Yeah, I mean, The Bear is a show, again, on Hulu that is a show that leaves you wanting more. At the end, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I wish there was like five more episodes, you know? Yep. That's ideally what you want, I think, you know? You want people to be leaving uh, wanting more and not like that was too much. Um, I'm not so hard and fast on this rule. I, oh, as, oh, I'm, yeah. as I'm I'm sort of um, interrogating myself internally here. I, yeah. I I fundamentally agree that each episode of a TV show should ideally have a beginning, middle, and end, and should should you know should be satisfying ha- on its own. Right? Yes, but also I don't know if I'm I'm so hard and fast on that rule. I I, I do think there is something there is the potential of doing it well and still mm-hmm. feeling like mm-hmm. oh my gosh that that is just a setup for something else that yeah. is not, yeah. you know, that's not its own thing yet. I, because I mean, that, that's for all mankind, right? That takes it, its time it really and builds is. up. Yeah. Yeah. 
It really is. But you don't realize it until much yeah, later. Exactly. <laughs> and that's but they, they're not wasting time. They're just like being slow about yes. and deliberate about what they're telling you. So it's still yes. there's a plan. They're not they're not wasting my time. It may just seem like these details don't matter, but they will matter right. eventually. So that's yeah. That's Bloodline special. is another great example of that. I mean, I have some of my favorite shows feel like that where yeah. I don't re- I retroactively appreciate earlier episodes. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's kind of uh, amazing to pull mm-hmm. off. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a high wire act that I appreciate when it happens. Um, I don't think it's the ideal, but I think it's yeah, it's not necessarily like throw it out. Don't ever do that. You know. Yeah, I, I think I've just been burned more by shows that waste uh, my time. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm angry. And, you by know, that. Yeah. there are shows like The Wire, which did have some decent episodic storytelling, but really The Wire individual seasons need to be viewed as a whole in my opinion, right 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 um and, but for every the wire you have you know three disposable netflix shows that don't feel that way you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i i would agree with you jeff when they're able to pull it off in a way that oh this all feels like a cohesive coal, uh, hole and it's beautiful like it is very satisfying but um very often it feels more like a crutch which i think is what kripke was talking about in the interview you know yeah, uh, like we because we can just stream it all. Like we don't need to worry about. We can just arbitrarily divide it into like ten chapters or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing so, I'll I'll bring up just sort of from my own perspective is I used to be a big proponent of the um, the streaming model where yeah we can have all our scripts done. We can have most of the episodes in the can before they ever premiere, and we can make it all. We can we can have it be really. Uh, cohesive and like you said, seed things in an earlier episode, pay them off later and all, all that stuff. I, I think that's beautiful and it's awesome. And it's more like releasing a novel, right? You don't write the last chapters of a novel and then not re-edit the first chapters of a novel. You know, you like it, yeah. put out the whole story at the same time. And I've been a big proponent of that. And I think it's, it's awesome. And it's one of the benefits of, of the streaming universe. But, but part of my perception on that has changed simply by doing the dungeon run because I was crafting this story over a long period of time and sort of, uh, you know, I had a roadmap in my head, but I was doing a lot of the laying the tracks as the train was coming down the, the, the rail. Uh, and, and also seeing how the audience was reacting in real time was really informative and awesome and helped me make things clearer or less clear. And it, it, it really changed my perspective. And, and I went, Oh my gosh, the interactivity of seeing how stuff lands or doesn't land with an audience is pretty awesome. And I imagine, you know, it can go bad, right? See also lost. But in the best sense of it, I think there are some shows that can probably, you know, uh, evolve alongside mm-hmm. their audiences and and the 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 writing of the show can be influenced by that and i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for sure for sure that that's like most i think buffy was kind of a show that kind of started like that too like that had a big fan movement and that the, the the show itself evolved with the fandom and got better because of it too i think so yeah so I think where we're landing on this is maybe Eric Kripke shouldn't have been so harsh, you know? <laughs> no, maybe, he's uh, maybe somebody, some, down people, a bit, Kripke. some people need to hear what he's saying. So, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, speaking of people who, who may or may not need to hear what people are saying, Anthony and Joe Russo, the directors of The Gray Man, which is coming on Netflix, they also directed, uh, obviously, Avengers Endgame. I believe they're responsible for $7 billion of total box office in their careers. That's something along those lines. Um, 
they gave an interview to the Hollywood Reporter that uh, kicked up a bit of a a bit of a kerfuffle on on film Twitter, and we we can't even go into all of it because we don't have time. But I will say uh, I will bring up this one thing. So the question was asked of them: As the industry continues to find its way post pandemic, what is some ingrained thinking that you would like to see changed or shifted? To which Joe Russo says, "Quote." Auteur filmmaking is 50 years old at this point. It was conceived in the 70s. We grew up on that. We were kids. It was really important to us. But we're also aware that the world needs to change, and the more we try to prevent it from changing, the more chaos we create. It's not anyone's place to reject the next generation's ideas. We're in crisis right now because everyone's at war with each other. It's sad to see, as guys who grew up loving film, a thing to remember, too, is it's an elitist notion to be able to go to a theater. It's very fucking expensive. So this idea that was created, that we hang on to, that the theater is a sacred space, is bullshit. And it rejects the idea of allowing everyone in under the tent. Where digital distribution is valuable, other than what I said earlier about how it pushed diversity, is that people can share accounts. They can get 40 stories for the cost of one story. But having some kind of culture war about whether there's value in that or not is fucking bananas to us, end quote. So much to unpack there. I'm not even going <laughs> to touch the part about auteur filmmaking because... Uh, it's, it's 80 years old, buddy. Like, yeah, that was 40s. It, it's yeah. 80 years old, and Walter Chaw did a really good thread on it where he's yes. basically like, this is completely bullshit what this guy's saying um but the idea of it being an elitist notion to be able to go to a theater i think is interesting number one i mean i I do want to acknowledge going to a theater these days can often be really expensive right when was the last time you guys went to a theater with your entire family i Um, mean it's never impossible for me it's it's impossible and if you did do it it would probably be extremely expensive to do right yes um and so I, i do want to acknowledge that that's the case however I am bummed to see someone like Joe Russo um, kind of shitting on the idea of the theatrical experience as something special. A lot of mm-hmm. film critics pointed out that you had to watch The Gray Man in a fucking theater. Like w- when you, when they were screening The Gray Man for yeah. critics, yeah. you had to watch it in a the theater. There was no screeners for that one. Um, so what, what's a, you know, it feels a little bit uh, like they didn't get their messaging in order there. But anyway. Uh, do you guys have any reaction to that or, or any thoughts on the theater being a, a sacred sk- space and or elitist to go to movie theaters? I mean, they're I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to get angry about this. It's just really dumb because, uh, yeah, where would they be without theatrical viewing of the Avengers movies, you know, and the MCU? Right. And uh, everything they've released. Uh, I've seen the early reviews for Gray Man. Not looking so hot. But let's not forget about Cherry on Apple TV Plus. <laughs> like they're their digital offering so far uh to me have not been great like they should not be talking so so highly about anything right now do you have any thoughts about the theater being a sacred space i mean i'm i'm conflicted about it because i I don't think it's it's such a clear-cut thing because if kind of you if you kind of get to what they're saying i think that it's a very populist kind of notion like hey get the get the stories to the people however we can get them to the people you know and i am I am, uh, I think, reminded of the the theater, <laughs> not mm-hmm. theaters, but the theater, stage the theater. plays, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has become that, right? It very much has become this this rarefied experience for people that have a lot more disposable income than the average person, and it's difficult to see theater in a lot of places and. Uh, the best of it, you know, New York City, the, the, it, it is extraordinarily expensive, hard to get a ticket. It's, it's become this weird thing that it never was, right? In the 40s mm-hmm. and 50s and 60s, the, the, you, could get, you could go in for a few dollars, you know, you, you go in, it was, 
very much a, um, a democratized form of entertainment. And it spoke to, I mean, if you look at, at the, the kinds of people that were writing plays in, in that period, they were speaking to a working class audience. Uh, and that's just not the case anymore, right? It's this big, grand entertainment spectacle stuff. Uh, and that's kind of what's happening with movies, right? You're talking about auteur filmmakers. A lot of them were speaking to a very different, you know, we're going to talk about Thief in uh, in the After Dark. That movie is, feels very different from anything that's in the oh, movie yeah. theaters today. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I think the the point is clumsily made and uh, I think uh, unnecessarily aggressive and challenging to folks. But I think that there is some kernel of something that they're t- getting at here that is, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if people want to tell stories and receive these stories in their own home, that is kind of a democratizing, t- technology has democratized that, right? And to, like you like to some degree, to some degree, not everyone can afford sure. a ten to twenty dollar per month subscription to Netflix, right? But the point they're making yeah. is the ten to twenty dollars you right, spend right. is gets you forty stories instead of one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I think that's that is powerful. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I'm all for more stuff on streaming, but you know what, guys? I went to see Marcel the Shell this weekend, and uh, I first of all, I went to a mall nearby that I haven't gone to at night. It was just like full of people. Like people out there living their lives. And it didn't make me feel sad because, yes, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But it did. It was heartening to see families out there at outdoor restaurants. And I go to this movie and I see a guy, you know, a gruff looking guy, like a guy with tattoos. And, uh, you know, somebody who I think would look in a tough guy movie, that guy would be right at home. He was there with like two or three of his kids. And he went to he was like, Marcel the Shell, please. And he went, he took his kids to see Marcel the Shell, and they watched it. The kids were quiet. They were raptured in it. And I looked over, and the guy was tearing up, like <laughs> me, and like so many people. So it's like that that experience, that is the rarefied experience that you get by going to theater and like consuming something together with people. And I, I want to value that as much as possible. But yeah, sure, it would be nice if the kids could just see this movie uh, you know, at home. And they will, eventually. I just... I, I don't know. Watching this movie there, I thought this could easily be a streaming movie. And then I saw like the value of doing it together with an audience and reacting with an audience. It was pretty special. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty torn on this as well. I agree with Jeff that like the point is made too flippantly and aggressively. I am all for the democratization of art in the sense that like people should have access to as much art as they want to uh, have or can handle. But in general, it is still easier for movies to become cultural events when they are in theaters, right? Would would Avengers Endgame have been as large of a cultural event if it was only on Disney Plus? I don't think so. And Devendra, you do a good job of pointing out that like um, Cherry, the other film that they made, was not exactly a cultural event. Um, who knows about the Gray Man? Red Notice, you know, are people still are people dressing up as Red Notice characters for Halloween these days? I don't know. Right? <laughs> uh, so anyway, what um, are you? What are you, little boy? I'm Red Notice. <laughs> I'm the rock from Red Notice and or Fast and Furious. Also, and for some or... reason, he's this boy's in the 1920s, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a paper, sir? I'm Red Notice. <laughs> 
All right. Well, anyway, that's what folks are talking about right now uh, in the news. But wanted to talk about those things, reflect on them a little bit. Um, the Gray Man, you'll be able to hear our thoughts about that film at some point in the near future on this podcast. So don't you worry. Um, we will certainly be thinking about these comments, too, when we watch that movie. So uh, anyway, let's get to what we've been watching. So I wanted to talk about The Rehearsal, which is Nathan Fielder's latest series it's a six episode series that's going to be on hbo max the first episode debuted this last friday uh what was your guys' opinion on nathan for you any any nathan for you heads yeah. in here i mean it's a good show yes groundbreaking in many respects yeah it's, yes. it's amazing i i prefer how to with john wilson as, as mm. if, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. In, which i feel you know it's produced by fielder and yes. in that same wheelhouse uh but i do think it's nathan for you is amazing uh, yes, I thought it was it was brilliant, and uh, one of the things I really liked about it was it completely played with your notion of what is real and what is not real. Like what is what in the show is being presented is that real? Is it not real? Are these actors? Like we we don't know, and I have tried to find out and been unsuccessful. <laughs> and so uh, Nathan Fielder has kind of been off the grid for a few years, making his next thing. Uh, and it finally debuted, and I was really, really excited to check it out. And the rehearsal, which is on HBO Max, completely exceeded all of my wildest expectations. <laughs> this seems like a show made specifically for you. Dave. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, my wife read the description. She's like, yep, this is something you're going to like. <laughs> I um, mean, it's basically Schenectady, New York, the show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what it is, is uh, Nathan Fielder interacts with people who have problems. They have situations where there's something there's an interaction they're trying to have with someone like in the case of the first episode there's a person just a normal human ostensibly who uh told a lie to one of his friends and wants to like come clean about the lie and what nathan fielder is offering is the ability to rehearse that interaction dozens of times with uh a elaborate intricate set and actors that can mimic what the actual situation will be like uh-huh you know when i heard this premise i was like did did dave think of this, this is, <laughs> you want this service right <laughs> yes uh certainly certainly um and the whole thing is completely fascinating and also at the end it's it's fascinating it's moving i actually cried because what Nathan Fielder's show promises what the rehearsal promises and what any reality TV show can promise is uh, the opportunity to see someone's real emotions. It's almost like the Truman show to that degree, right? Like you're watching kind of a reality show, this elaborate setup, but theoretically what you're watching is real. You're watching this real person have a real interaction with his friend um, that he has rehearsed and he's struggling and trying to figure out how to make it happen. And, uh, that is ultimately what is compelling about both reality television and about the rehearsal. Jeff Kanata, I know you watched an episode as well. I did. What did you think? <sighs> I think this show is extraordinary, mm-hmm. um, but not because of the premise. I think this show is extraordinary almost despite the premise. Um, I don't think the premise does the heavy lifting. I think what is uh, what is extraordinary about Nathan Fielder's talent is that he has this uh, instinct that I think is is really beautiful to find compelling subjects and get to the humanity of them in a very effective way. Mm-hmm. 
And he does so in the first episode of the show. I suspect each episode will feel that way. And it is truly beautiful. But I think the the trappings of the of of the the rehearsal itself, the mm-hmm. the premise of the show is just a way into that experience. It's not even I don't think it accomplishes what it advertises for me. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't to say that the show isn't extraordinary and well worth watching and beautiful because it is. But I don't think it's because you watch this person. I don't think the uh, meticulous recreation of the environment, all that stuff matters one whit. I think if you sat down with a person and talked through their anxiety over a situation and then had them do the situation and we had hidden cameras, it would be compelling because these people are compelling and the sensitivity and and beauty with which Nathan Fielder approaches it is compelling. But, you know. It sounds like you find the trappings uh, to be almost a distraction, right? Almost. I, 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 as somebody who has many, 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 many times in my life rehearsed things, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't think what he his I don't think his thesis statement is accurate. Mm-hmm. That, I don't that, think the thesis that by rehearsing it you will be better at the actual thing. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. But my, my I, wife was saying like the rehearsal actually makes it worse because like it adds all this <laughs> pressure onto it. Well, right? it's that not even, but it's also not. I mean, I I have rehearsed uh, many plays. I've done many many plays on stage, and the process of rehearsing a play goes like this. You sit around a table and you read the play with each other. Then with the cast, right? And you talk about it and you, you do things. And then you, uh, everybody calls putting it on its feet. You put it on, on its feet. You get, you, you stand up. You most of the time still holding the script in your hand. Uh, but then you sort of uh, do the play standing, doing blocking, blocking it out, figuring out where you're going to stand, how you're going to move, what feels right. And then... And all of this, by the way, usually almost almost every time will be in some strange room, some bland, boring room that looks nothing like where you'll actually be when you do the play. And then you you know do the play enough times where you, you don't have it, the book in your hands anymore. You're talking to each other. You're doing the lines. You're uh, imagining the situation that you're going to be in. There's probably some tape on the floor that says, hey, there's going to be some stairs here or there's tape over here that says where the door is. Maybe you'll get a rehearsal chair that will substitute in for the actual chair that'll be part of the set. And then you do it enough times that you transfer over to the actual set, which is probably being built as you've been rehearsing. You're Mm -hmm. on the actual set. Oh, everything changes. Now you're on the actual set. You got to relearn how to do it on the set. Then the actual props come in. Then you get in the costume you're going to wear with the actual props that you're going to have, everything changes every single step of the way, everything changes. Right. And the tiniest little adjustment, the tiniest little separation between what you have been in your head and what the actual thing is, is massive because you've, you've got this, this muscle memory of how things are. Oh, they aren't just lines on the ground. They're just tape on the ground. There are actual stairs. Oh, how does that change how my body moves? How does that change how I have to anticipate walking down mm-hmm. those stairs? All that stuff. So I, say all that laborious explanation to, to, <laughs> to tell you 
the notion that just because they recreated the exact location and filled it with actors, none of those actors are going to be the real people in that place at the time. None <laughs> of the the none of the the things the music is going to be different. The the way he sits in the chair is going to be different. All of it, it's all going to be different. So the the notion that this rehearsal, because he meticulously recreates the environment, is somehow going to give him an advantage or give the the subject an advantage at any point, to me, rings false. What is compelling about it, what is compelling about it is this notion of thinking through a situation over and over again and thinking about how... Also, this notion that, you know, you hire an actor to play the person you're going to talk to and that their reaction is going to be even remotely close to what the actual person's reaction is going to be and even if you play out infinite, you know, evidently there's dozens and dozens of different ways this could have gone and they try to play those all out, you will never get an approximation of how it's actually going to go. So here, here's the thing. I, I don't disagree with anything you've said, except that as with Nathan for you, I think the failure of the premise is the point. Right. Right. That right. This guy has God, Nathan Fielder in the show, his persona is he basically has godlike abilities, right? Like right. he can, he can conjure up an intricate recreation of the freaking bar, a recreation so mind blowing that I'm like, I'm still to this moment, don't understand how it was achieved. Mm-hmm. And be like, hey, here, here's a pl- the place you're going to be. But like, no matter how many times they rehearse it, no matter how close, uh, they get to the actual circumstances. Ultimately, it's going to be different somehow. U- ultimate, and in fact, that that is borne out in this right. episode in ways right. that I will not describe. Right, but right. like, but so I think the failure is the like it's it's a mental exercise of if you had the ability to rehearse it nonstop, like would you actually be able to prepare? And your answer and my answer is probably not. Probably that would not help. Right, right. That probably wouldn't help. And I think the show is proving that. But um, I think, but isn't that? If if you're just proving the thing that we all sort of intuit, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it feels like uh, we're just spinning our wheels. But I say that to say that what the show gets at is this very beautiful human thing that I found extremely interesting and compelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I felt like it's despite its premise, I didn't. F- I I feel you on the. This like that's the point is that that no matter how many times you rehearse something, it's still going to be unpredictable. And but it's like we all know that there's no there's no insight there. There's no revelation. Mm-hmm. It just I mean, feels. It, it, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead no, no, no. Go ahead. Well, it just. It, it, I mean, yes, I would agree. But the show is also really funny. You know, like I agree. He's able to use the lengths to which he is trying to recreate this thing uh, to extract a lot of comedic value from it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, y- you know, that that's just, um, I, I am okay if it doesn't provide that much insight into, like, my concept of the human condition, if it makes me laugh, and if I can just be, like, in awe, and, and if it can, A, make me laugh, B, um, show me real human emotions, C, make me in awe of, like, the lengths that he'll go to, like, recreate these scenarios. Like, that's enough right. for a really good show for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I agree it is a really good show. I'm not disagreeing with it, with you that is a really good show. It just feels weird that I feel like we could get to that really good show in a in a much simpler way without without spending millions of dollars. <laughs> right. Right. 
and but it then it would not like, be nearly well, as entertaining. It would not be nearly as entertaining. Maybe not. Maybe not. I, I, but I also found there's like a layer of frustration that I had of like, why do you, why do you expect this to be effective? Right? Like the, the, if the, if the failure of the premise is the point, why did you expect it to not fail? Who's because you humans, in that scenario? Humans are Nathan, hilarious. Nathan yeah. Fielder. I don't know that he's expecting anything. You yeah. know, like I, I, I do not know what no, his I, game is. What he's, know? what like, he's, I think the, the conceit of the show yeah. is I'm going to stand before you audience. And here's this way that's going to help awkward social interaction. Mm-hmm. Here's the, yes. here, I've come up with a possible solution. And it's and I and I say to myself, and I think you said to yourself, if I may put words in your mouth, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> right? But it will be hilarious. And yeah, it was, it was yeah. hilarious, but it, yeah. it just it, the he whole... constructs human petri dishes, right? Experiments to see right. like, how people respond, and right. that, that that is how all these shows go. Also, him. you literally just described the entire premise of Nathan for you as well. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. oh, he's going to elaborate lanes that are very funny, but it's probably not going to work. You know, <laughs> right. and so it's right. it's kind of a similar thing, except far more intricate and more bigger human, budget. You know, yeah, and a bigger budget, like. An episode of Nathan for you could cover anywhere between two and three scenarios. This is just one scenario for forty minutes, right? Uh, yeah. Forty-five minutes, and so yeah. Anyway, uh, Devendra, have you? Do you see uh, the rehearsal? I've not seen you? it yet. It's just, I've read about it. And I've seen the promo, and I'm very excited for it. But it's uh, just what you guys are talking about. Like it's a uh, it's a Simpsons meme, right? It it is. That's the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> well, I just, and I'm looking I, forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah, I felt like there could have been a sort of Schenectady, New York level of like, yeah. wow. Uh, look, <laughs> look where we've, look where we arrived. I didn't anticipate that happening. Mm-hmm. Like, like in terms of like personal insight, right? Yes. Yes. And I, and, like, and I, I mean, the, the first episode's beautiful and the, the end is very moving, but it also is like, if we had not even done any of this rehearsal stuff, that's probably how it would have gone, you know? <laughs> right. Right, Dave. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably true. That's probably yeah. true, you know, but, yeah. um, and it would still have been compelling and beautiful. But it's just it like, like a mental, it's like just a mental exercise. It's like, oh, what if you had the ability to like, re- like, what would that even be part like? Isn't additive. You know? That's my point. It's like, it's mm-hmm. additive in the sense of like, of, of you watch the procedure of it and you go, wow. And you go, uh, that's funny. And, and all those beats, which I understand to you is makes it worthwhile. And it kind of does make it worthwhile. But also I'm like, you could have just had the conversation and it still would have been beautiful and compelling and amazing because People are, you know? Well, anyway, uh, I'm curious what folks think about it. Watch and decide for yourself. I love that Jeff also liked it. I loved lot. it. No, I, <laughs> yeah, it is, I, it. I recommend but, it to everyone. I, yeah. I, I'm just kind of talking through my, yeah. you know, my process. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, that's the rehearsal. It's on HBO and HBO Max. Uh, I cannot wait to watch. I actually watched the first episode twice. That's how good I thought it was. Well, the and, first, the first yeah. time you watched it was just rehearsal <laughs> mm, nice uh i am i'm actually bummed that there's only going to be six episodes you yeah. know i i hope they green light it again but my guess is the show cost about 50 million dollars <laughs> I, I do like the trend of uh hey just six episodes nice and tight deal with it yeah yeah, yeah. if they do one and done with this one I, I, I will be blessed to have gotten it but it's it is brilliant you should check it out uh it's the rehearsal on hbo okay i um so we we watched Thief for this week's After Dark, and um, I decided to get into uh, yeah. some Michael Mann. Michael you were, you Mann were vibing. You want some synth. You wanted some, uh, yes. you know, heroes that are dealing with emotional issues. Yeah. 
So I watched Manhunter for the first time. I'd never watched it before. Um, and I have to say, I didn't love it. I didn't love Manhunter. Um, there were some things about it that were really awesome. Uh, first of all, Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter. I'd heard about this performance. I'd never seen it before. Um, and it was pretty awesome. Brian Cox, um, the same person that personally wished you a happy birthday. That Brian that's Cox, true. that same guy. That's it. He his career went only upwards after <laughs> it culminated yeah. in uh, the cameo that you all uh, and several of our, our my Slack buddies graciously acquired for me from Brian Cox for seven hundred dollars. Um, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right, Jeff. Um, but uh, he got his career start with his Manhunter show. And uh, I thought that Brian Cox is uh, awesome in this movie. Um, he is really chilling. And uh, somebody on uh, one of my favorite Letterboxd reviewers, Mike Ginn, put it really well. He's like, yes, uh, Mads Mikkelsen and Anthony Hopkins, like they play a really good version of Hannibal Lecter. Um, but Brian Cox actually seems like he eats people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he is pleasantly disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he he is also in this movie. Unfortunately, he is in this movie for approximately 10 minutes. And hmm. the rest of the movie is a fairly drawn out procedural uh, featuring William Peterson, who mm -hmm. I actually don't love in this. I don't think he's that great. Um, he is playing a character that is 10 years older, I think, than actually William Peterson. He, he looks really young in Manhunter. Yeah. yeah. He, and, he's a, like a boyish face. Yeah. And you know, you know what really burned me watching Manhunter Davindra is I actually think there are vast portions of Red Dragon, the Brett Ratner version of this story. Don't even, have, don't you dare. That are better. Like, I, how I dare say, you? There are elements of Brett Ratner's Red Dragon, which is based on the same book, that are better than this. Um, <sighs> here's one of the big ones they introduced the serial killer earlier on in that film. Sure. Right? You meet sure, the serial sure, killer sure, earlier on in that film. So you actually sympathize with that character and get to know more of his backstory before. I, so the serial killer, who uh, Tom Newton, plays Francis Dollarhide yes. in this one. He's and great. He's great in this movie. Yeah. He's great. He's, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And then, uh, you know, I, I wish you liked it more, but I can't push you on that. Uh, this movie begat CSI and everything. Like the, the reason it feels like uh, an overdone procedural is because it, it, it essentially invented. The no, crime. No, no. I, like, I actually like love the procedural elements of it. Like, I, okay. I, there's, there's okay. a part when they're they're trying to figure out like uh, yes. how to communicate with the serial killer through newspaper. Like that part is mm -hmm. so cool. That part, just him like walking up to scene and uh, trying. What what is your design? You know that those things and the way he talks himself. It is. This is a movie of mood and uh, you know and vibes, like so many of Michael Mann's things. So yeah, it is yeah. a hugely influential movie. You know, yes. it, it, it has a massive cultural influence. So I'm not trying to downplay that at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love the procedural parts of it. Um, I, I read a Reddit post about it that really hit the nail on the head, which is that Red Dragon is in almost always a more polished film, just in terms of its structure, in terms of its look, everything like that. But you watch Red Dragon, you have no idea who directed that movie. Yeah. You have no idea what you're doing. But it's to watch Manhunter, it's like, yeah. that is a Michael Mann film. You know, that's that a is a Michael Mann film. I, I, so, I can't think of another movie that stages a date uh, uh, with the villain where he <laughs> takes somebody to pet a sleeping tiger. That part was amazing. And just like, just... That part was amazing. Yeah. 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 Aesthetics. So I would I'm, say, I'm on Michael Mann's I would stand, say the so highs of Manhunter are way higher than Red Dragon. Right? Uh -huh. The highs of Red Dragon. But that Red Dragon is overall more <laughs> even 
Um, and the uh-huh. lows are not as low in Red Drag. Um, sure. And the, so, actually, in Hannibal, they redo, they cover the Red Dragger stuff a bit too in the final season. The I think the TV show. That, Red, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was better. But anyway, than, yeah, yeah, I got Unreal Michael Mann. I watched Collateral too. I don't need to talk about that. But um, <laughs> watch Manhunter for the first time. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was terrible or anything like that. I thought it was yeah, good. I'm glad you like, saw it. Yeah. It just is like, mm, like, Brian Cox is good. He wasn't in enough of the movie. Didn't love William Peterson. Um, and I thought some of the narrative structural elements of the movie were pretty mm-hmm. rough. Like it's, it's you, just you so don't meet the serial killer until like an hour yeah. into the movie. And that's like just challenging to do if you want us to sympathize with that character, which I think the movie does. So I love it because um, it, it is such a great dose of vibes. And also it's so formative too. like this movie begat all of the CSIs. It begat like mm-hmm. a lot of like crime procedurals and uh, you know, so much of TV. And I guess that is uh, that that is like Michael Mann's curse, right? He will he will do this thing that people will kind of like lean on and uh, blow up into everything that influences culture. So same thing happened with uh, Miami Vice too. Yeah. Hmm. Well, those are the things I've been watching. Manhunter. Uh, I watched. I don't even remember how. I think I, I bought it a long time ago. But anyway, it's available on video on demand. Devinger Hardwar. What have you watched this week? Yeah, I've been checking out the show called Moonhaven. Another thing on AMC Plus. I've just been uh, I've been big on AMC just because. Uh, let me aside here. Uh, I tried to watch Better Call Saul season six. I thought, oh, uh, oh yes, yes. You, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna subscribe to AMC Plus, the home of Better Call Saul. I know this is so yeah. Okay, actually, somebody wrote in an email about this. Okay, okay. that I, I should read. Um, okay, but uh, uh, let, me, let me tell my story. But I, I go to AMC Plus. I'm like, okay, my wife and I were finally ready. I feel like once a year we get we get the vibes. Everybody's watching Better Call Saul. We're like, okay. Let's yes. let's go. Let's go on Better Call Saul. I go to AMC Plus. I see Better Call Saul like episode six or seven, and it has an expiration date. No other episodes of Better Call Saul because of the streaming deals AMC has made. I believe with Netflix, uh, the that show is on like Netflix in other countries. It's not on Netflix in the U.S. So there there is no way to stream the early the first half of Better Call Saul season six in the U.S. You got to buy it. You gotta buy it or you can't you, if you had an amc account and went to the typical amc app it's also not there for amc subscribers on cable so just a weird just a really annoying place where yeah. we are so yeah but better call saul first half of the season aired two months ago and then they took it like a two-month break and then the second half is airing now and the first half is not available on amc plus which is a terrible terrible miscalculation uh, it's just like it makes AMC mm-hmm. Plus into like <laughs> really like it was already, the 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 case for getting AMC Plus was already edge case right yeah like it was already borderline and the fact that you can't stream the first half of Better Call Saul in the crappy AMC Plus quality is really really rough. There's nothing plus about this but anyway so I was annoyed about that my wife and I were like let's let's check out Moonhaven that looks fun um uh what's his name uh, Joe Manganiello is in this and it looks like spacey and fun and I'm really digging this show this is sort of like a uh it is a far flung future it's a sci-fi show about a, a destroyed earth it kind of the opening text just talks about how we have destroyed Earth and used it all up. And uh, the premise is that humanity has sent basically an AI to the moon and the AI has created this biosphere. It's like, uh, you know, it, it, it geoformed part of the moon. Uh, I don't have specifics about how that works yet, but there is now a vibrant utopian society on the moon. And there are some humans on that society and their culture is defined by this AI and the the idea is that this this batch of humans and this AI that's like you know building a new world will bring some lessons and ideas and technology down to Earth 
to help uh, help fix an ailing Earth. And I do have a lot of questions about like the the feasibility of this plan and would it even get started if Earth was actually in so much trouble. Um, but so far, I'm really digging into the show. Uh, it focuses on a uh, a pilot, an Earth uh, an Earther pilot who occasionally makes trips to the moon. She ends up uh, being the focus of a murder plot, a murder mystery. And uh, she is trapped there in that utopian society, and just like the, the the mystery is like what what happened? Why 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 is she now a major suspect? Um, stars Emma McDonald as the as the pilot, and I think she is like great and spunky in this. Like she is she's an Earther with attitude, and seeing her uh, going to this moon community, which is essentially like it's a very utopian community that is like um, it, it opens on a couple of cops finding a. Uh, a murdered body, uh, Dominic Monaghan from Lost and uh, Lord of the Rings is one of those cops. And their job, they're just like super chill about everything because essentially this moon community is like, it, it's a patch of land. Criminals can't go anywhere. The cops immediately know like what, who who committed the crime. And they're like, well, I guess we got to go find this guy. He's on the other end of this limited compound we're in. Um, I like that the moon community has a very specific and unique culture. And I think it's a view of humanity and the future that I think is kind of uh, compelling. I don't know where the show is going to be going yet. It does seem like, yeah, there is always mysteries. A utopia is never going to be a true utopia. Um, But I am really compelled by the performances. I think Joe Manganiello, he plays a a bodyguard to like the, uh, the earth's embassy to the moon, I guess uh, the leader of earth's uh, ambassador to the moon. Um, he plays a bodyguard who's just like very charismatic and uh, unique. Like he he is a character, but he can also be a tough guy, and he's a lot of fun here too. So if you liked shows like uh, thinking what was it uh, the Wolves show, the Ridley Scott one, Raised by Wolves, Raised by Wolves, it is very much it's like Raised by Wolves, except um, not as like into the the big special effects and stuff, and it's a lot less uh, cynical and nihilistic than that show because that show is super brutal. And this one has an element of hope of it uh, that I think is really, really interesting. So it's sort of like uh, instead of raised by wolves, it's raised by AI on the moon. And can that save humanity? We don't know. But I think Moonhaven uh, is off to a really cool start. Oh, All right. I'm intrigued. Moonhaven, I'm intrigued. It's intriguing. Yeah. Moonhaven, it's one of the six things streaming on AMC Plus right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everything but Better Call Saul, season six. <laughs> uh, and I do, I just, I just want to say uh, I am. Caught up with Better Call Saul season six. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It is awesome. It is amazing. Yeah, sounds, sounds great, <laughs> Dave. And I, I think this is why I always have trouble catching up with Better Call Saul because, like that, the, the moment of when the episodes are airing. I think last season I ran to this problem, just completely forgot it. And I just bought the season. But yeah, you you either wait for it to hit Netflix again, or you buy the seasons, or you watch it live on air. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, it, I, fair enough. It is very difficult, but it is uh, it is airing right now. There are five episodes left. I am so excited. They are firing on all cylinders this season. Okay. It's incredible. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I'd love uh, to see it sometime. Devin Jordan, let's keep watching. Uh, I want to quickly shout out this uh, this documentary uh, from Nova. It's an episode of Nova about the uh, James Webb Space Telescope, which uh, gave us our first photos, uh, its first photos into deep space last week. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking about this in Gadget and elsewhere. Uh, if you want to get the rundown of like what went into building the James Webb Space Telescope and uh, you know get some good, good info on like this imagery too. Uh, check it out. Uh, there's a documentary called Ultimate Space Telescope uh, by Nova. It's on YouTube right now. You can just stream it, and it's well worth watching. 
Cool. Uh, Ultimate Space Telescope is streaming on YouTube. Anything mm-hmm. else you've been watching, Devendra? I finished Miss Marvel, and yeah. I do have to say, uh, Jeff, have you started yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. I watched the yeah. whole thing. It's okay. great. Oh, yeah. It's I've Dave. Tra- who is I've been begging started. Dave to watch, and he won't. Well, I, I want to hear you guys get to the end and tell me that it's worth watching. Uh, worth watching. Well, we, we already told you it's worth watching from the first <laughs> few episodes. I told you again in the middle of the season, and I'll tell you again at the end. Uh, it, it's definitely worth watching. I, I think it is... Um, Definitely one of the strongest. I it's my favorite of the Marvel TV shows so far, mostly because it is giving us like a sense of representation that I I don't think I never I never would have expected on American TV and certainly not from like a Disney TV show. But you know, this this show del- delves into, you know, the partition history in India, you know, the separation of uh, a big chunk of India turning into Pakistan. Like that that is a core element of the story here. And I love that it engages with that in a way that is both compelling for the characters here and will probably tell like it teaches the audience a little, you know, a a few things. It reminds me of like little bits of history we learned from uh, from, you know, like Watchmen in the U.S. here, too. Um, I like it when shows can lean on history in a way that, you know, illuminates things for audiences. And I think this does it really well. I think the show wrapped up pretty well, too. There, There are some like, you know. I feel like any finale will have to deal with like a big bad or some sort of big action sequence. And I think for the vibe of the show, which is essentially a couple, you know, a kid finds superpowers and like um, it it is very like teen focused show. I think it kind of fits for that. I just think everybody did a great job here and cannot wait to see like where this character goes. I hope we get more seasons of this soon. Um, Loving everything about Miss Marvel. Yeah. It's so charming. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Highly recommended. All right. I, I will genuinely try to check it out because I've heard a lot of good things about it and I've been burned by Marvel shows in the past, but it seems like this one. We, we all have, me. man. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and Devendra, you talked about Tuka and Birdie last week. You want to give another yeah. shout out for that? Uh, just a quick shout out. I didn't realize season three would be premiering so soon, but it is. And uh, those episodes are also hitting HBO Max immediately. So if you've been watching Tuka and Birdie season two, just keep going for season three. It's on HBO Max now. All right. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? Well, I had a chance to check out a new animated feature on Netflix called The Sea Beast. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is directed by Chris Williams. Uh, I think these are folks that um, that uh, were involved in, um, um, oh, gosh, what's the Hawaiian uh, one with the rock? Moana? Moana. Sorry, I couldn't remember. Yes. We, sing, we sing the soundtrack <laughs> in my house all the time. I should be able yeah. to remember the name of the stupid movie. I, I've heard great things about The Sea Beast on Netflix, right? This is one of my favorite animated films of all time. Straight wow. up. It is, it's right up there with How to Train Your Dragon, Inside Out. Um, I mean, it is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, I was completely unprepared for how great this movie is. And I guarantee you that if you watch the first 10 minutes, you will be floored. It has some hmm. of the best swashbuckle ever put on film uh it is it, I, one of the best pirate movies i've ever seen just the way it's shot it's like master and commander level pirate awesome the way that they put you on the ship uh in the early parts of this movie uh the, the sort of the uh, faux handheld camera work running around the deck of the ship it, it feels like a person on a deck of a ship and it, Again, this is a kid's animated movie with like, you know, adorable stylized characters, but hmm. the the action is off the charts awesome. Off the charts awesome. 
And the, the movie just keeps getting more interesting and better. It is, I mean, if you told me Lightyear and this movie were coming out and one of them was a <laughs> Pixar movie, other than the IP giving it away, I would never believe that this wasn't the Pixar movie. It is stunning, gorgeous. I mean, it puts Lightyear to shame on every level. It is, it's phenomenal. And it also has this incredible message about imperialism and revisionist history. And just like, it's beautiful. I, I watched it uh, in my movie theater, uh, in my home theater uh, on, the, on the big screen. It, it is a showpiece. I'm, I'm going to use this movie to show off my projector because it is hmm. it pops the way they use color is stunning the the water there are moments that are just images that'll stay with me forever these beautiful beautiful images i mean i i sat down and watched it with my uh my almost six-year-old and my just turned four-year-old and about 40 minutes in my older my son uh, turned to me and he said, daddy, I don't know. I don't think I want to watch this anymore. And I was like, okay, it, it, it's very intense, very intense for, for young kids. I thought it was going to be a little more, uh, uh younger kid friendly. Uh, so if you're thinking of watching it with really young kids, it is, it was scared my son. Uh, and he was scared. Um, and it's, it's very intense, but for like a little bit older than that, you know, like eight, nine, 10, 12, and adults like us who love the stuff like uh, How to Train Your Dragon, mm-hmm. it, this is a must-watch animated movie. It's a tour de force. I loved it. I've been. I saw the trailer for this, and the animation looks really cool. I like the like premise. So yeah, I'm looking forward to checking this out, Jeff. Yeah, so I've heard good. great things about it. The stars Carl Urban too. Yeah, more Carl yeah. Urban. And Jared Harris plays this grizzled pirate captain. Oh, his vocal performance is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've heard great things. It was also like number one movie on Netflix for like the last week. So I'm glad uh, to hear that. It deserves that. I mean, if you, I like, I keep comparing it to Lightyear because Lightyear felt like such a, you know, a lead balloon to me. It, this is the movie that deserved the theatrical release. Like seeing mm. this on a big screen with great sound, the colors are vibrant and amazing. It is gorgeous. Go- I mean, some of the most exquisite 3D animation I've ever seen. This action sequences are off the charts cool. It, it, it is a home run. Awesome. All right. The Sea Beast is streaming right now on Netflix. That's what we've been watching. Let's do a few weekly plugs. Weekly plugs is a part of the show each week where we talk about something else we've been making. Guys, Decoding Westworld is a podcast I do with Sidonta Laka. Westworld is actually good again. Westworld yes, is but good for how again. long? I, I don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> um, season four, episode four, entitled Generation Loss. Huge episode, shocking episode, lots of twists, really fun stuff. Uh, check out my recap over uh, at decodingwestworld.com. But yeah, I'm really liking the show again. E- e- even if they completely fuck it up from this point forward. It's like, well, they give us like four really good episodes. I so. don't, I don't believe I'm hearing this. Like that yeah, is me talking about a show. Never you, Dave. But okay, okay. I lost faith in this show years ago. Like season two, I thought was a disaster. Season three <laughs> was okay, but mostly bad. But season four has been mostly good. Like every episode, I've been looking forward to, and there's been really cool ideas. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Westworld and my podcast, Decoding Westworld. Divinger Hardware, your weekly plug. 
couple of things. Um, I want to shout out, uh, I hosted This Week in Tech, the latest episode, while Lee Laporte is off on vacation. Or actually, no, he's on the Twit Cruise this week. So I hosted that along with the panel, including Brianna Wu, Patrick Norton, and Norm Chan from Tested. So it, we, we had a great chat. It's episode 884. Go check that out on twit.tv. And I also want to say, um, the Engadget podcast, we had a big feature on the James Webb Telescope as well. So I'll, I'll plug in the link for that episode as well. It's worth listening to. I remember when we were in college, you know, you were you were talking about this week in tech, and we, mm-hmm. you know, at that point we were nobodies, and now no, we're I mean, nobodies. literal, literal nobodies. Yeah, now we're nobodies that like a couple hundred people listen to each week, but back then we were real nobodies. <laughs> we're real nobodies. And, I mean, that uh, that was in college. I was a couple of years away from just watching Leo Laporte and crew uh, on Tech TV and ZDTV, like those networks that existed back then. So it, yeah. it was pretty wild so, to be. So it's ama- it's amazing that you were like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. This Week in Tech. Da, da, da. Now, 884 episodes later, you <laughs> are hosting This Week in Tech, baby. Um, it's it's amazing. It's cool to see. Super dude. cool. It's cool. It's cool. So it was fun. It was listen. a great time. Yeah. All right. And uh, Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Uh, my video game podcast is called DLC. Uh, this week's episode, uh, we had uh, Tim Geddes from Kind of Funny. Uh, kind of Funny is uh, the biggest video game uh, podcast empire on the planet. Uh, Tim is a friend and a great, great, great guy, great guest. A uh, very fun episode. Uh, check it out. It's this week. Uh, this week's episode just came out last night. Uh, you can find it at 5by5.tv slash DLC. I believe it is episode 452. Uh, and uh, the, the show's super fun. And I hope uh, I hope people who are into video games that listen to this will give it a shot. I've uh, been doing it a long time and, and really proud of it. All right, that's the DLC podcast. Uh, I agree with Jeff. A fun podcast. I enjoy listening to DLC quite regularly. So Thank you. Um, Okay, a couple weekly plugs for this podcast as well. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can always do it by going to patreon.com slash film podcast. You can sign up for ad-free episodes as well as exclusive After Darks. This week, we'll be talking about Thief, and we should have a special guest on that episode for the After Dark. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to jinx it, but I think it's all going to work out. Uh, And so that's going to be a great episode, again, available at patreon.com slash film podcast. Of course, we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them any financial hardship. You can always support the podcast for free by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a review for us or a star rating. It just takes a few seconds and it really does make a big difference. We hope you'll consider it. Okay, that is all for Weekly Plugs. Let's get to our review of Marcel the Shell with shoes on. All right. So I'm making like a little documentary. Oh, it's like it's a like, movie, but nobody has any lines, and nobody even knows what it is while they're making it. Mm. No. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what's life like. It's pretty much common knowledge that it takes at least 20 shells to have a community. My cousin fell asleep in a pocket, and that's why I don't like the saying, everything comes out of the wash. Because sometimes it doesn't, or sometimes it does, and they're just like a completely different person. So, it's actually only two of us now. Myself and my grandmother, Nana Connie. We like to watch 60 Minutes because Leslie Stahl is fearless. Nana, make the noise. That was from the trailer for Marcel Lachelle's Shoes On, directed by Dean Fleischer Camp. It's the feature adaptation of the animated short film in which uh, a documentarian interviews a mollusk named Marcel. A, c- a series of shorts. Not yes. Just, yeah, yeah. Yes. And uh, uh, Nathan Fielder is in it. So, you know, synergy per episode. Is he? Is he? I don't remember him being in it. He's on the IMDb. Huh. 
He's mm-hmm. he's one of the characters at the very end. He's one of the characters. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk see, about oh, those folks. Gotcha, gotcha, Andy gotcha. Richter, some other people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah gotcha. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, uh, this is a feature length adaptation, right? And it's based off of a YouTube series. You know, um, feature length adaptations of things that w- originated on YouTube have had mixed success. There haven't been that many of them, uh, and so I was very curious if they're going to able to be able to pull this off and make this feel like it was worth the big screen mm-hmm. treatment. So my question for you, Devendra, is do you feel like this movie earns the title of movie as opposed to YouTube video? <laughs> movie. Uh, movie. I mean, movie? as movie? we learned, any anything can be a capital M movie these days. But I think that should no. be our new criteria for everything we review. Is it a – first question, everybody. Is this a movie – Let's yes, get Eric I mean, Kripke in here. You, yeah. you, you say you say that you say that, Jeff. But I, I remember a t- getting a ton of flack putting that OJ Simpson Made in America thing on my top yeah. ten movies. <laughs> not a movie. Not the a movie. Would have been no. Not Pretty a movie. Clear. <laughs> Pretty clear. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. yeah. So, what did you think watching this at a, a movie theater? You talked a little bit about your experience earlier. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? I uh, I, I love this movie. I adore it completely. I think it is a wonderful transition to the big screen for Marcel. And I've I like the original Marcel shorts. Uh, I've been actually meaning to watch them with my daughter because I think they're kind of short and sweet and it's a character that she may like. Um, but I, I you know, Marcel's just a sweet thing who has a really unique view on the world. And I think it, the shorts were like a little twee, a little too cutesy at the beginning. But I think if you actually watch them. You know, Marcel is a character voiced by Danny Slate uh, is is very revealing and very observant. And I always found that really fascinating. Um, I've talked to some people who like, you know, who really like these things, too. And like they lines from Marcel has shaped people's lives. There are things I remember from the shorts and even in, even in this movie, like there are observations that are just like very sweet and really touching and uh, just just really meaningful. This is a movie that is deeply rooted in meaning. It's also beautiful. Like uh, most of it is done with stop motion animation. There's a lot of like, you know, digital, um, I don't know, like digital ways of making it all work too. Like I, I, I would love a making of, of how they did specific scenes, but I think it's beautiful. I think the message is really great. Jenny Slate is fantastic. I'm, I'm sure the voice alone is enough to turn some people off, but I think like as a film and as an experience, this is one that's definitely well worth having. I think it's great for kids too. Like it is, it's more mature than maybe something some younger kids would want to see too, because it, it involves like, major themes that I won't talk about here for fear of spoilers, but major things happen. And I'm not sure if every kid is kind of ready for that, but I love the way this movie goes about it. Um, I'm also like kind of fascinated too, that I know the originals kind of started when Dean Fleischer camp and Jenny Slate were married, I believe, or were a couple and to see them kind of come back together and just like do it again, even though they're not together is there something very sweet about that too. And I feel like the movie even touches partially about him as a character being divorced yeah. and dealing with his divorce. Part, so I don't autobiographical. know. Yeah. I don't know how that's working out, but I, I found that part fascinating. You don't need to know any of, it, of that to enjoy this movie. I think it's fantastic. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Marcel, the shell with shoes on. <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts on Marcel, the shell. With, how, I need the whole limit. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying. That was my Marcel voice. Obviously, uh, <laughs> my thoughts are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Our usual movie diet doesn't have much room for quiet, but Marcel the shell doesn't have to yell. So I'll softly suggest that you try it. 
Nice. Like, love it. As as pleasant and wholesome as the movie itself. Jeff. Indeed. Indeed. I, this felt like uh, an antidote to other movies. This felt like a a, a respite. The anti-mad uh, god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the anti-mad god. <laughs> well done. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is... Uh, Although Mad God is very quiet as well in its own it's way. Quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's understated. It's sweet. It, it, twee isn't a word I would have used, but hearing you use it, uh, Devendra, I, I, you know, I think it applies. Um, but it, you know, it's also very melancholy. This is a mm-hmm, very, mm-hmm. Uh, very sad movie. And, and, and it, it is, um, it, you know, I, I don't think it is a kid's movie per se. I think it is a, a movie for adults, uh, kind of seeing the world through a kid's eye, in this case, a singular. Um, because Marcel, as a character, is is sophisticated and talks with the sophistication uh, or is able to articulate themselves with the sophistication of an adult. But anybody that's been around uh, a young kid will, I think, hear that logic come mm-hmm, out of mm-hmm. Marcel. Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm reminded of my my kids often in listening to Marcel make an observation about the world. Uh, Marcel is able to articulate it much better and have a, have a conversation that's that isn't it isn't a five-year-old it isn't a six-year-old it's a it's it's an it's a sort of an adult but able to look at the world with that level of innocence and and awe and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be reminded to sort of take in the world like that, to take in the small things. You know, Marcel is is very small. He's uh, about an inch high, right? And the way the film is shot is gorgeous, as Davinja pointed out. But it's also, it, it, it looks at the world in a way we often don't. It, mm-hmm. it's, it notices small things. It mm-hmm. it keeps, it, there's a lot of uh, very shallow depth of field. You are looking at tiny nooks and crannies of a house, a house as if the house was an entire world. And when I think when we're kids, when we're very young kids, we sort of experience the world that way. We we are closer to the ground. The We don't go out into the big world often. And when we do, it's big and overwhelming just like it is when Marcel goes out in the big world in this film. And, and, and I think it's a, a reminder to sort of slow down and see the world with those eyes again. Mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. that's what I found so beautiful about it. Um, I agree. Jenny Slate's performance is wonderful, especially it's so such a contrast to the kinds of parts she usually gets as an actor, yeah, um, yeah. which are often these very abrasive, um, you know, in your face kind of women. Uh, it, this is so sweet, and I too would love a a, a making of. Um, not only because I'm so curious how they pull off the stop motion when the camera is so uh, handheld and crazy, but also I'd love to know how much of this is improvised, which mm-hmm, I I would mm-hmm. assume a lot of it is. Like, do they just kind of go through it and do the voice track first, and then go back and you know? I, I'd love to know what the process is of making yeah. this movie. It seemed like it would be fascinating, but as a film, it is it is really lovely, and it is um, one I can heartily recommend. I just don't know if it's it's. I think it has the trappings of a of a kids mm-hmm. film, but sure, I really don't sure. think it is one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is rated PG, and I do right. think like it is 
it, it is more mature than a typical kid film would be, but I feel like for like a, a really uh, curious eight or 10 year old, you know, mm -hmm. so older than your kids, Jeff, but you yeah. know, for that range, I don't think there are actually many movies that do target that, that aren't trying to be like, you know, silly cartoons or like right. superhero -y stuff. So I think it, it is a mature movie for like more mature kids. Yeah. Uh, agreed with everything you said, Jeff. And uh, I just want to comment first about the aesthetics of the movie. Uh, I think the movie does look great. It's uh, as beautiful as you guys have said, but it's also like it's stop motion blended with handheld documentary style, which is very rare to see, right? Mm -hmm. Typically stop motion films have very controlled camera movements um, for a variety of reasons. And this movie is able to seamlessly blend the two together in a way that feels real. And I think it's uh, it, it looks great. So um, huge fan of how the movie looks. Um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is about COVID. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. I, I think, uh, I think okay. it's about COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, could be. It, it is about isolation. Like, that. that is a lot of the melancholy of this movie is being isolated and alone and watching the world go by through the window, right? Yes. And it, it is about, you find out very early in the movie, like in the first 10 minutes, that basically like a traumatizing event like removed a substantial portion of Marcel's family. Uh, and he kind of spends the rest of the movie trying to figure out the, the consequence of that. So yeah, I, I you know, yes, you could read it very easily as not being about COVID, but like that was the comparison that kept coming up for me when I watched the movie. Yeah, it's a head. good read, especially right um, now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. It's about these characters like dealing with loneliness and dealing with like the sudden loss slash estrangement slash vanishing of, of their friends. And, uh, and coping with that, and and for for that reason alone, because of the resonance that this movie had with real life events, um, I found it to be deeply move moving. I, I probably would have found it moving regardless, but I think like that layer really spoke to me um, because the central journey of the movie, which is you can hear in the trailers, I don't think it's a spoiler, is that like it's about Marcel, as you guys have indicated, journeying out into the world, opening his mind more, taking more risk. Right. And that is a message that I think we really need right now. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly us on this podcast really need, but many people probably really need. And, and um, yeah, so I, I really love the movie, um, but I found its metaphorical implications to be mm -hmm. uh, really powerful as well. I so, mean, yeah, yeah. And beyond COVID, it is about like you know, taking those risks in life too, I think. Totally. Like, that, that is... It is a thing I that I come back to time and time again, and the way this movie treats that and the journey he goes on, I feel like this is something I'd want to show every kid because, guys, this is this is life. You know, this the loss that you're going to experience, the fear of doing something new, and the fear of changes that could happen if you do something new. Like th this movie just really juggles that all really well. Yeah, indeed. All right, let's talk about some spoilers for Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. A few things I want to talk about. First of all, hey... Marcel's Nana dies. That's very upsetting, guys. That's so very upsetting. <laughs> Putting that out there. You, you and she has knew. dementia or something like that. Like that's she has anyway. dementia towards the end, and uh, and she dies. The way they do that scene, 
is absolutely beautiful. It's and beautiful. I, I was kind just of like dreading off. like yeah, just yeah, walking off into walking the, off yeah, and amazing. him dealing with it too, like the aftermath of all that. Just so it hit me pretty deep. And also I have to say Isabella Rossellini. Um I love her voice. She amazing. has done voice work for a yes. lot of things. I've seen oh, a lot yeah. of her like um her stage work too. She she does these weird things. She she did something about was it like bug sex or something like she is a really wild creative person and she just adds a really nice dose of uh, heart to this movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was a really sort of dark and upsetting, very mature theme. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what you guys were talking about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and a lot um, of kids will have to deal with that. I both of my grandfathers died when I was like seven or eight, within six mm-hmm. months of each other. So that is a thing kids will have to experience, unfortunately. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to highlight uh, about the movie that I really enjoyed. Now that we're in spoilers, um, one of them is that how do I put this? There is a difference between being a fan of someone and supporting them. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I saying am I saying it right? There's a yes. difference between being a fan and actually like wanting them to, you know, mm-hmm. w- wishing the best for someone. Yeah, and I think Jenny Slate, you know, who is a, a famous person, um, has certainly had her brush with internet fame, both because of the fact that she's a famous person and also. Um, she created the series that went mega viral. And one of the most interesting parts of the movie for me is when Marcel Vichel goes viral and he's like, hey, I, please, people, I, I need help. I need help finding my family. And then like, right, right, right. no one gives a shit. Like they just, no one cares. all they want is to take their viral selfies with at Marcel's house. They don't care about Marcel's mm-hmm, family mm-hmm. at all. And I thought it was a very pointed indictment of internet fandom is that like yep a lot of internet fandom is about what you can get for yourself and not about what's actually good for the person you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it it is Um, this the sinking it's the meme of like somebody sinking into the water and all somebody does is give a high five as they continue to sink and that (laughs) that is like what a lot of this feels like so Mm -hmm. pointed and i've never seen that articulated so well yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but it's interesting you know and um you know, uh, a few dozen people listen to the film cast and we've experienced that to varying degrees ourselves, but also like, it makes me, you know, think about like how I approach my, fa- my fandom to mm-hmm, uh, people mm-hmm. on the internet, you know, like your specific how, fandom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, how, how I approach like, you know, people who I enjoy on the internet and like, uh, is there anything I can do better to not be as extractive in the way mm-hmm, that I approach mm-hmm. the people who I like online, you know? Um, so, uh, I thought that was really, really powerful moment. Um, another powerful moment I just want to mention is like one of the most moving moments to me is when they they take Marcel out into the city and then like um, he looks at the the city. Are they in L.A.? Where are they in this? L.A. Looks like LA. LA. Yeah. yeah, they're in L.A. and like they're at this like hill and they're overlooking like a bunch of Ma- buildings and Mulholland. <laughs> it's up on Mulholland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, driven that many, many, many times. Nice. And Marcel's like, "Is this it? You know, is this the outside world?" And the director is like. Um, well, this is like one city, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is like many, many cities, like yeah. many states and many cities. And then Marcel's like, oh, like, <laughs> this is like, like sense of like, oh, like the enormity of the task before him is mm-hmm. just so massive beyond their comprehension. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, the moment later on when uh, his Nana tells him that you you have to let go of your fears in order to actually experience the world. Um, 
I, I thought that was all just very powerful stuff. Very, mm-hmm. very grounded, very well drawn. So really, anyway. I mean, I love, I love media, especially that can like break things down for kids too. Um, I, I like reading, um, was it the uh daniel tiger is the sort of like sequel to mr rogers neighborhood it's the continuation of like that story and i always like that show because i can i can go back to that show and like and the stories to like relate to things with my daughter and helps her understand them and i i feel like this movie could help a lot of kids you know kids dealing with things it's such an emotionally honest film and that's a that's a rare thing to see these days too i feel like this could be really helpful to a lot of kids and parents to be honest well in this i think it's a great comparison and in the same way that mr rogers uh was quiet Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. listened and the characters kind of spoke from the heart but in in a very quiet patient way like you just don't see that in today's media that it's it's very very rare to get children's programming that is that anymore and this this movie is this little person that i think probably is very relatable to a lot of kids this little small thing in a big world that is quietly summoning the courage to express themselves and Mm -hmm. figuring out like you know worried about things and feeling like oh the the responsibility is on me to take care of my nana and nana saying no 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 don't worry about it it's just it's such a beautiful quiet patient uh, piece of art it, it, it you just don't see that anymore and and, and i yeah. and it made me miss it one of my favorite observations kind of came from the end where she's uh marcel's talking about um one of one of his cousins who's just like skating freely on the ice right and he's like look at look at them they're just so young they're they're <laughs> so uh they're you know skating freely they don't they don't know uh they haven't been like i forget what the exact line is but they haven't been like hurt by the world they don't know what can hurt them yet so they're just free and like that sort of that sort of observation I kind of hear from my daughter sometimes too about how, how like the way the world works or the way things work around her. I found that just super super compelling. I I love this movie. I hope most people really end up seeing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was a little disappointed at the. Um, it, I read online that it was supposed to go into wide release this week, but it's mm-hmm. only in like a few hundred theaters. Yeah, it's leaving the theaters. It left a lot of theaters in my area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hope um, you know it'll probably be on video demand in the next month or two. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. But I hope people will be able to check it out regardless of what format. Did you guys have a favorite kind of you know in a movie like this uh, where there's this kind of alternate reality um, and they repurpose lots of household items in different ways? Mm, Did you have a yeah. favorite one of those? Like, there's a lot of, my like fa- Rube Goldberg machine type logic right, it's great. Right. yeah my, my favorite one was just like using the honey as uh <laughs> as like gravity boots basically <laughs> yeah, like yeah. sticky boots um yeah i thought well, the that was funny like, thing about that is is yeah. how messy it ends up being you know it's like it's <laughs> yes. a completely untenable situation yeah yeah, yeah. that is yeah. uh that's where nathan fielder comes in by the way because he, he is the cousin i believe who's trying to do that and uh yes sliding brother. down yeah uh, and sliding down not listening to her yeah or yeah. him I think that you guys the have any favorite ball, one of those like little things, yeah. Tennis ball's tennis ball. movement around and how like mm-hmm. you know uh, Marcel's talking about how well you can, you got you got to be careful where you park it because it can't be on a slant because it won't be there when you get back. It's, it's yep. Oh, yep. very funny. <laughs> I right. love how Marcel kind of hates the dog too. Like it, he's he's <laughs> yeah. not just like a super nice sweet character. He's got some spunk. He's got yeah. some character to him, and uh, that makes the observations all the more meaningful. I, I was trying to figure out if the movie had anything broader to say about these kinds of interpersonal relationships, you know? Um, and I'm not sure if it did, right? Like what we do see is this couple broke up 
and the guy took a bunch of the shells with him. Right? <laughs> and then, and then at the, the end, but at the end, there's Salazar, still... by the way, always nice to see. Oh, her. nice, yeah, so, yeah. But at the end, they're still fighting, right? And then that's what causes. It's like, oh, they're fighting, and that's how you know the shells have retreated to the drawer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's a kind of nice touch, like a kind of you know Chekhov's shells retreating to the drawer. You know, um, <laughs> I like that. But uh, and then at the you know as the movie gets to the credits, like it seems like the director has kind of moved on with his life. He's like. He's no longer in the Airbnb anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He is moved into a new place. He's gotten over his ex and so on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't know if if the movie was trying to say anything broader about like those kinds of romantic connections, or if it was just kind of this background for. Uh, mm-hmm. what well, I mean, I, I think clearly the uh, that fighting as a signal to to hide is very much feels very much like. A, a, a little kid logic, right? Is yeah. I don't know the details of the fighting, but I know the yelling is is scary. And yeah. it shouldn't be happening, and it is a signal to hide. And that to me felt very resonant and and just um, sad, and and in that melancholy way that the whole, whole movie is, where it's just like, oh man, yeah, people are awful to each other, and these little these little be- people experience it in a way that the participants of the fight aren't. Um, mm. Mm. You know, and I thought that was, you know, sad. It's very mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great point. Uh, here's another thing, random point about the movie. Um, I was bummed that the movie didn't go into the logistics of becoming really popular on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, give me your, uh, mechanism here. Well, because, because at some point point, it becomes so popular, it becomes like a problem, right? Like it's so Uh popular uh that people are like showing up to the house. It reminds me of like when people would go to Walter White's actual house in Breaking Bad and they'd throw pizzas on it, but it's like yep. actual, actual people live there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And it's so, it's so funny at the beginning when uh, Marcel's like, what, 63 views? 63 <laughs> views on this? Wow. And then like by the end, it's like, you know, 20 million views. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but those, uh, those views generate money, you know, thousands of dollars. And... Um, <laughs> And, but, but at some point Marcel's like, well, we're not making any more of the video, you know, like yeah, he, he's yeah. opposed to like getting any more publicity. And it's like, the director is going to be like, dude, I need this to eat, man. You know, <laughs> Airbnb, <laughs> doesn't, pay pay for Airbnb doesn't pay for itself, buddy. <laughs> so anyway, um, w- w- was bummed. We didn't get a YouTube subplot, but anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, we any can't, other, yeah, well, we can't not talk about Leslie Stahl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is such a great, I love, it felt like, um, a very uh, Muppet show uh-huh, uh-huh. thing where real famous people interact with this world and take the world completely at face value and like it's completely normal and that's yes. Just, I, I love that. I love In that. In reality, conceit. the discovery of talking shells would upend right. our <laughs> everything we do. of humanity in the universe. Right, but right? for Leslie Stahl, it's just like, oh, hey, what's this? What's the what's the <laughs> interpersonal relationships of you and this tiny little talking shell? It's it's great. It's like yeah. she's you know interviewing Kermit the Frog or something. It's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie also does real, real realistically show like how a, a crew will like just move shit around to to yeah. <laughs> to shoot a small little interview. <laughs> yes. um, all that stuff is like, oh man, that's uh, yeah, they're really going uh, on, on point there. Yeah, I thought they did a relatively good job of taking care of Banana uh, in that situation. Mm-hmm. They put her put her in the nice little fluffy shoe in the sunlight, yeah. but <laughs> little green wasn't room enough for her. Wasn't yeah. enough. Marcel was too. I mean, they should have said like, hey, uh, to to a PA production assistant, hey, watch this person in this in this shoe. You know, make sure she doesn't wander anymore. But <laughs> you're in shoe duty. 
Any other thoughts, folks? Or shall we wrap it up there? Uh, I think it's great. And uh, it is worth watching the original videos, too. Like, they're still really good and really, really poignant. So if you like this movie, folks, uh, check out the original videos. And I believe Jenny Slate put out a book, too. So I want to get that for my kids. Yeah. I'm going to say this. I wasn't a huge fan of the original videos. I thought they were like, okay slash mildly annoying and i really love this movie so even if you i I was worried i was worried because it's little kid voice and we already know how much you love little kids on film dave (laughs) okay in the sense that i generally don't like i think you hate you want them to die that's not true that's not true but and you know you know uh, maybe three is a trend i guess i don't know when, when the trend happened but um, what I'm trying to say is even if you didn't like the YouTube videos, I still think the movie's worth checking out. Mm-hmm, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm trying to say. It's it's um, much deeper and much more interesting than those like one-off things. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It, it actually has something to say. Um, not to say that the, sh- the YouTube videos they did. Didn't, they did. But... Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's really impressive that Dean Fleischer can't made a movie uh, along with all the fine folks that were, which we can confirm is a movie. Movie confirmed. It is a movie. We can now, yeah. we can now confirm. Is a movie. Okay, that's the the other ending thing we have to do now. Movie confirmed. <laughs> movie. <laughs> the big stamp. We comes are in ghosts. confirmed. <laughs> um, okay, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McCune from Varsity Blue. Check out the Midnight as well. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber and filmmaker Kyle Corwith. Our uh, Weekly Plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week, we'll be discussing Jordan Peele's newest film, Nope. Nope. The new film we'll be discussing. Uh, It's interesting um, how they've been handling the release strategy for this movie. Very few people have seen it as we're recording this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Although the last trailer did give off like a lot of like what's happening so mm-hmm, that's something mm-hmm. yeah but yeah v- virtually until very recently people knew pretty much nothing about what this movie was about um so it's fascinating it's fascinating and so it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is i'm really pleased we'll be at the front lines of uh that reaction once we talk about it in a week from now thanks so much for listening we'll see you later